Isn't that a great thought that those Christians who are in heaven are happier than us at the minute, but they're not more secure? Awesome thought, isn't it? Have you ever had to write a CV when you apply for a job? Um, I applied for a job last week and I, no, I didn't really. Um, but you remember writing CVs, don't you? They're awkward because you've got to sell yourself. I imagine worse than having to write a CV is, as some people have to do, having to reapply for your own job. So you've been working somewhere for 10 years and, and you've done a good job. And now your boss comes and he says you've got to reapply for the same job you've been doing for 10 years. And you've got to show that you, you, you can do it and you've got to show, explain why you're qualified to do the job you've been doing for 10 years. And the temptation is to say, well, look at my track record, that's my CV. If that's not good enough, then get rid of me. And as we've seen, unbelievably, to, to sort these Corinthians out, Paul's had to write four letters, he's had a, two or three visits, and he, he's almost won them over. But there's still pockets of people in Corinth who've they've come under the sway of these super apostles, these, these fancy preachers. And now they're saying to Paul, we, we'll listen to you, Paul, but can you, can you send us your CV? Can you show us your qualifications? Remember, Paul was the one that had brought the message of the gospel to him. Paul's the one that had planted the church and given himself to him, and the church had flourished under him. And so Paul says in verse 1 to 2, he says, do I need to commend myself? Do I, need, do I need to provide you with a CV? Do I need letters of recommendation from you so I can, the next church I go to, I can say, oh, I've got recommendation, the Corinthians approve of me. He says, do I really need that? And then he says, you're my references. You lot are my CV. People should be able to read you, he's saying, and know that me and my message is genuine because what it's produced in you. And so Paul's having to continue to defend his, his ministry to the Corinthians, but, but in defending his ministry to the Corinthians, he's reminding them how glorious the gospel is that transforms us. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Paul's defending his ministry to a degree, but he's defending it by showing them how amazing the gospel is that transforms people. In fact, if you had to sum up Paul's personal statement on his CV from, from 2 Corinthians, it would be something like this. I am weak. But I serve a God who's strong. And together we're unstoppable. What Paul's making clear in this chapter and the next few chapters is that his confidence is that he, as he proclaims Christ, the Holy Spirit changes people. And that's exactly what we trust as a church, isn't it? That as we proclaim Christ, whether it be junior, Sunday school, um, Tuesday afternoons, Sundays, whenever, as we proclaim Christ, the Holy Spirit works and changes people. That, that's all we've got to a degree. That, that is our CV. And some people can try to get to God without Jesus. They come to church, but they try and get to God without Jesus. They try and live, they try and live a good life without the Holy Spirit, and, and it won't work. And so Paul's confidence is in something that's called the new covenant. And, and what Paul does is he takes up this theme of explaining 
how the, the, the new covenant is at work in the church. And so this morning, rather than working verse by verse as we might normally do, what I want to do this morning is give us a framework to understand the next few chapters. And so what we're going to do, we'll, we'll have a look at a framework, and then what we'll do, we'll summarize this chapter, just picking out a few of the major points, if that's okay. And even if it's not okay, it's, it's what I'm doing now, because it's what I've prepared. Um, so as you go through the Bible and you hear it preached, you'll hear phrases such as law and grace, or you'll hear old covenant and new covenant, and massive, massive books have been written on how to understand different aspects of these covenants. And there's people who take different aspects and say, well, I, I, don't, I think that, I don't think that, I think it, this applies this way, I think that doesn't apply that way. But that's not what Paul does here. That's for another day. It's not what I'm going to do here. I'm not going to today talk about all the complexities of the covenants. I'm going to talk at, at the core, the new and old covenant is simple to understand. And that's what I'm going to try and do this morning. So I need a couple of disclaimers first. The Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Jesus is present in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. You got saved in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant the same way as you do in the New Testament. The only difference is in the Old Testament they look forward to Jesus, we look backwards to him. There's lots of crossovers between the Old and the New Covenant. But as we go through today, I'm not going to keep clarifying them because it'll lose the impact of what I'm trying to say and what Paul says. Paul says elsewhere, he says, the law came through Moses, you know, the commandments through Moses, but grace and peace came through Jesus. So Paul doesn't mean that there's no grace in the law that Moses represented. Paul isn't saying the Ten Commandments don't matter because of Jesus. It, Paul's point is, compared to the New Covenant... There's no comparison. Paul isn't rubbishing the old covenant. He's just showing how much better the new one is. He's saying if, if, if the old covenant were good, this is even better. He'll say in verse 13 to verse 18, he said it's like compa comparing Moses' face, temporarily glowing, to Jesus' face, eternally glowing. Moses' face showed God's glory. Moses shone like a light bulb. But Jesus' face showed God's glory, and Jesus' face shone like the floodlights at Wembley compared to it. So let me explain what the old and new covenants are. So in Exodus, after God has rescued Israel from slavery, he leads them to Mount Sinai, doesn't he? And at Mount Sinai, God gives them his law. The people can't approach the mountain. God gives them his law through Moses, and it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. And that's what we call the Old Covenant. So the, the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai for Israel to follow, it's called the Old Covenant. And what happens is God makes promises to his people. That's what happens in a covenant, you make promises. God makes a promise to his people. He says, if you love me, and if you obey me, I'll be your God. And you'll be my people, and I'll bless you. He says, but if you don't love me and you don't obey me, I won't be a God and I'll curse you. You with me so far? So the old covenant summarized, it's, it's more, but it's the old covenant summarized is this. If we love and obey God, he'll be our God and he'll bless us. If we don't love and obey God and his commandments, he won't be our God and he'll curse us. 
And the Ten Commandments summarize that covenant, and they're written on the tablets of stone, aren't they? Remember Charlton Eston chucking them down? And then they're presented to the people, they're delivered to the people by Moses. Moses is what's called the mediator of the covenant. Moses is the, the go-between between the people and God. And the old covenant's beautiful. God's law in the Old Testament is beautiful and it's faultless. It shows us how to please God. It shows us God's character. It teaches us about how to live in a way that's absolutely wonderful. But there's a problem with it. There's actually not a problem with it. There's a problem with us. So let me take you to Mount Sinai. And I want to show you what the problem is with the old covenant. What the problem is with God's law, if you like. Moses. Yes, Aaron. We got a problem. What is it, Aaron? Get my steps in today, won't I? That law you've given us, it's not working. Why? Well, they've read it, and they know it, but they don't like it. They've made this golden calf, and they, they, they want to be sexually immoral, and, and they, don't, they, don't want, they don't want it. Moses, can you do something so that they'll actually want to keep it? Aren't Aaron? I can't change people's hearts. I'll just tell them what it says. Oh. Moses. Yes, Aaron. Moses, I've had a word. They're going to try and keep it. That's good, Aaron. Moses. Yes, Aaron. They haven't kept it, Moses. And it says if you don't keep it, you come under God's judgment. Moses, can you help? I can't, Aaron. I can only tell him what it says. Moses, 
Yes, Aaron. Moses, the miserable. They don't want to keep it, but they said they'll try. But they can't keep it, and now they ate it. They say that they feel like slaves again, being told what to do and being punished if they don't do it. Moses, can you do something so that they don't feel like that about God's law? I can't, Aaron. I can't make them enjoy it. See the issue with the old covenant? Nothing wrong with the covenant. The problem is the people don't want to keep it. They can't keep it. And so they hate it. Because all it does is condemn them. All it does is show them what they're not. And Moses can't help because he's only a man. And even though he loves it, he's broken it. And so the problem with the old covenant... The problem with God's law is that nobody can keep it. The problem with trying to get right with God through keeping rules and doing good things isn't that the things aren't good, it's that we're not good. We can't love God properly like he demands. We can't love our neighbours ourselves like God says. And so under God's law we're condemned. We're going to hell, we're going to judgment, and we deserve it. It's not that the old covenant's rubbish. We're rubbish at keeping it. The old covenant could show you what what you should be like. It could show you where you'd gone wrong, but it couldn't fix you. That's the old covenant. So what's the new covenant? What's the new covenant that Paul's trusting in? Well, if you look closely, you'll see all the way through the Old Testament, even in the Old Covenant, people are being pointed towards a new and better covenant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk all the time about a time when God's going to make a new covenant with his people. He's going to make a new deal with his people, and the key difference is that it'll change the hearts. And so we come to the New Testament, we come to Jesus, and just like Moses, Jesus goes up a hill, but it's not Sinai, it's called Calvary. And this is what happens. Jesus has lived a life, the only life ever, where he perfectly kept God's law. And he didn't just keep it grudgingly, he kept it with all his heart. He loved God's law. And he didn't just keep it and love it, he enjoyed doing it. And so God's law, the old covenant, isn't a noose around Jesus' neck. Because Jesus has completed it. And there's no condemnation for him. Jesus has done what nobody in history ever has done, ever could do, ever will do. He kept God's law perfectly. Never did any of the bad stuff that it warns against. Not in his mind, not in his heart, not in his body. Jesus always did everything that the law commanded. Always did it joyfully and always enjoyed it. 
but there's more that not only did Jesus fulfill the law, not only did Jesus keep the law, that's great for him, but what about us? Well, the new covenant is this. Moses couldn't help people because he'd broken the law. I can't help you because I've broken God's law. And under the old covenant, we're all condemned. But not Jesus, because Jesus kept the law. Jesus had no sin. And so amazingly and beautifully under the new covenant, Jesus not only fulfills all the commands of the old covenant, but he pays the penalty for those who broke it. The penalty was judgment. The penalty was death. And as Jesus goes to the cross, after completing the covenant, he has the wrath of God poured out on him in judgment for us. And every one of our sins is laid on Jesus, and Jesus has punished for every sin you've ever committed and I've ever committed. And the righteousness that Jesus won is shared with us and counted as ours. And so Jesus fulfills the old covenant on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? In that one act on the cross, we're, we're given a new covenant. It's the new covenants, the old covenant was sealed by blood of sacrifices and sealed by our commitments. The new covenant sealed by Jesus' commitment, and so it cannot be broken. The, the old covenant could fail because of us. The new covenant cannot fail because Jesus has fulfilled it and Jesus has paid the penalty. And what happens under the new covenant? You have Pentecost, don't you? And at Pentecost, it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't around, but when the Holy Spirit, if you, if you like, he was dripping in the Old Testament, is poured out now in the New Testament, in the new covenant, in massive power to save people. And in the time we've got left, I want to show you how the new covenant works and how the new covenant answers Paul's critics. Let me show you three ways that Paul tells the Corinthians how the gospel works and how the new covenant works. Firstly, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. We see that in verse 3. I can't change anybody. Paul can't change anybody. Reading about Jesus can't change anybody. Telling you what God expects of you can't change anybody. Telling somebody very clearly the way to heaven and how to avoid hell cannot change anybody. So let's join Paul at the bottom of the hill. Jesus, yes, Paul, Jesus, I've got these people, the Corinthians, they worship loads of different gods, they're sexually promiscuous, they don't want to change. They don't want to keep your law. Jesus, can you help? Yes, Paul. Oh. How does that work then? Paul, you tell them about me. Tell them about the sin. Tell them about the consequences. Tell them about my life. 
Tell them about how I was perfect and righteous. Tell them about my death. Tell them how I was crucified in their place so they can be forgiven. Tell them how I rose from the dead, Paul. Tell them that if they'll turn to me, I'll forgive every sin they've ever committed and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And instead of them reading about my law on a page and not wanting to follow me, they'll love me. And the Holy Spirit will give them a new heart. As you, as you tell them about me, Paul, I'll write my laws, not on stone, I'll write it in the hearts. I'll win the hearts, and so they'll want to follow me. Oh. That's amazing, Jesus. Let me go and tell him. And that's what he does in verse 3. Paul says to him, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is the heart. What, what's Paul done? All Paul's done is delivered the letter from God. He's ministered, that, that's translated, delivered. Paul's told them about Jesus, and as he's told them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken God's law from being something we read on a page to something that's now written on our hearts. And so what happens is, when you become a Christian under the new covenant, you want to keep God's law. You don't want to be sexually promiscuous. You don't want to be a drunkard. You don't want to do things that upset God. You, you want to keep God's law. The veil's removed. That's why we tell people about Jesus. Because when we tell you about Jesus, the Holy Spirit can give you a new heart and new affections. Second thing, under the new covenant, not only does the Holy Spirit change our hearts, he gives us power. Jesus. Yes, Paul. Jesus, thank you for giving them a new heart. They love you now. They actually want to keep your law now. There's a problem. Even though they want to keep your law, they're not strong enough. They keep failing. They feel condemned. Jesus, can you help? Yes, Paul. Oh, how? Paul, you know the Holy Spirit who was given you a heart of flesh? Well, that same Spirit who has been poured out at Pentecost, it gives you the strength to live the Christian life. It gives you the strength so that you'll be able to say, I'm not sufficient, but my sufficiency is from Christ. Paul, it's, it's this that's given you the strength to be a minister of the new covenant. Paul, you're not ministering by a letter that kills. You're, you're ministering by a spirit that gives you life. I'll give them the power to keep my law.
Oh. And that's what happens, isn't it, when we become Christians? First of all, we love God's law. But secondly, as the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts, he also gives us a strength to follow him. Because we think, well, I ain't got the strength to turn away from this sin. I ain't got the strength to stop doing this. But the same Holy Spirit that changed your affections also gives you power so that we can follow Jesus. Paul says the letter of the law will kill you. You need power. John Bunyan's credited with the saying, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. See, this is what happens when we, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit writes God's law in our hearts so that we love it, but then he gives us the power the strength to actually live the Christian life and serve him. We come to him weak, he makes us strong. Final thing is this, the Holy Spirit, under the new covenant, gives us freedom to enjoy God. Jesus, yes, Paul, Thank you so much, Jesus, for putting your law in our hearts. Now they want to follow you. And thank you for giving them the power to live for you. And for me as well, we serve you now in weakness. But Jesus, I'm scared. Because although you've given us power to walk your way, we can't keep your law still. I can't keep it to the letter. And so even though I want to, I can't properly enjoy being a Christian because I know that every day I'm going to fail and I'm going to break your law. Can you help? Yes, Paul. Paul, I've kept the law for you. Now, Paul, that doesn't mean you can just live as you want. You won't do that because my law's in your heart. But Paul, I've taken all the legal requirements of God's law and they were nailed to my cross. And so Paul, now, it's not about you keeping the law perfectly. I've done that. What I want you to do now, Paul, is enjoy living for me. Enjoy living for me because I'm not going to stop loving you if you fail because I've kept the law for you. Paul, I'll never stop loving you. Even when you get it wrong because the price is paid. Enjoy me, Paul. Live for me, Paul, without the pressure of thinking, what, what if I fail? Paul, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Oh. Verse 16 to 17, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I used to play football a lot. Um, in my early 20s, I used to play loads and loads of football. 
uh, two very different seasons in a row. Played for one manager and he shouted a lot. I don't do well with pressure. Um, it'd scream. It'd swear at you if you lost the ball. It'd rip into you in front of people. If you lost a game, it'd go mad. I remember one day I walked home with the monk on because I'd scored two goals, had a really good game, but missed the chance to score a third. And in front of everyone in the changing room afterwards, he ripped into me. And I hated that season. Every time I got the ball, I panicked in case I lost it and he'd shout at me. Every time I was through on goal, I panicked about missing. I knew that if I had a bad game, he'd drop me next week and I'd have to earn my place back. And I was in and out of the team all season. Season after, I played for the same club but a different manager. He knew what the other manager were like. At the beginning of the season, he came to me, put his arm around me, and he said, Ben, enjoy yourself. He said, Ben, have confidence. Have confidence in yourself. Try things, Ben. If they don't come off, don't worry. If you have a bad game, Ben, I'm not going to drop you for one bad game. I played football for 25 years in total. That was the best season I ever had. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I worked really hard for the team. I scored 32 goals. I can remember most of them. I'll talk you through them if you ask me. I got manager's player, player's player. I was still playing the same game on the same pitch for the same team. But I had a different boss. I had a different manager. And he gave me liberty. And it takes us a while to get that into our heads because when we become Christians... God's for us. We've got a change of management. We've got a master who's lovely. And he's, he's paid for our sin. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new power to live by. And so we want to live for Jesus. And we've got the strength to live for Jesus. But when we do fail, we ain't got the pressure of him saying, you're dropped. Because Jesus has got it right Jesus says, I've paid the price for your sin. I want you to enjoy living for me. We're done now, but what's, what's the result of all this? What's the result of God giving us a new heart and God giving us a new power and God giving us liberty? It's that we get transformed. The more we look at Jesus, the more we preach Jesus, the more we become like him. The more I tell you about everything that Jesus has done, even if you've heard it hundred times, the more the Holy Spirit will cause you to love him. And he'll cause you to desire him. And, and we change. We, be, we actually become more like Jesus. And that's why we preach Jesus and not rules. It's not because rules aren't important. It's because Jesus changes people. And when we do preach Jesus, in our, even in our weakness, people see how stunningly beautiful Jesus is. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit transforms people's hearts. And so Paul says, do you want my CV? Do you want proof that I'm a genuine servant of Jesus? Here's the proof. I preach the gospel to you in massive weakness. I preach the gospel to you with all my faults. And as I did that, Jesus transformed your hearts and gave you new affections. And he's increasingly giving you the power to live for him. And he's taken away your condemnation so that you can enjoy the freedom you have in Christ. And as you look at him, he's transforming you into the image of his son. And all that's come through 
we called me, preaching to you about Jesus. And that's the proof that it's genuine. I want to ask you, what covenant do you live in? What covenant do you live under? I'm not asking, I don't mean what, what, what era do you live in, what covenant do you live in? In your day-to-day lives, even as Christians, which covenant are you allowing to rule you? The one that says, you better not get it wrong today, Ben, or you'll be dropped. Or the one that says, come to me. My yoke's easy and my burden's light. If you haven't come to Jesus, you must feel so heavy. And the message of the gospel is, look, come over to the other side of the cross. Don't look at Sinai. Don't look at your own efforts. Don't look at your own failure. Look at Calvary. Look at Jesus. Look what Jesus has done for you. Look at Jesus and trust him and trust his strength. Jesus. Yes, Ben. Thank you for the new covenant. I know I'm weak, Lord. I thank you that you're strong. Lord, I thank you that my hope's not in my performance, but in your performance on my behalf. I love you, Jesus. And I'm going to live the very best life I can for you. I love you too, Ben. I love you with an everlasting love and I rejoice over you. Keep going. Don't lose heart. My grace is sufficient for you. Keep pressing on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus. We thank you that as Jesus has preached and understood that the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart that that wants him. A new power that lives for him. And a new freedom that enjoys him. Lord, help us to walk in the liberty that, that you have won for us. Amen. We're going to close by singing, "'Tis finished, the Messiah dies."
Remember at Sinai, no one could touch the mountain. Nobody could go up to God. Listen to what Jesus says under the new covenant. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen.